the worst parts about election season is that people who have no familiarity with Bible start talking a lot of Bible. We'll talk about that, but I want to start with a great listener submission on this week's Corey Truax Show. called the Corey Truax Show, and I would argue I have themes. There are themes that often come up, and one of you, Caroline, sent me something from the pop culture to accentuate my argumentation of one of the themes of the show. We're going to start there in just one moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on his radio talk. Among many other things, I get to serve the incredible people of Beachwood Church at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Well, I guess I serve them all the time, or at least that's supposed to be it. I'm one of the elders there. We meet regularly at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, and you, whoever you are, as long as you are not currently committed to a body of believers, you are invited. We love to have you out. One of the themes of the show over the years has been about meaning, the crisis of meaning that we've had culturally that came out of our relativism and then our nihilism. You remember, I suspect, us talking about that. I love having the pieces of pop culture that establish that I'm right about that thing I've been saying, uh, even when a secular culture, non-Christian culture, doesn't know that's what they're saying, but they're saying it. In the early days of the show, it came through my, my reading often of Ecclesiastes. I encourage you, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, these are good regular reads for wisdom, for perspective on life. And on the early days, I would talk about Ecclesiastes as this older man who's had so much in life. He's had all the riches, had all the experiences, had a reputation, and he just keeps writing that I thought the money or the reputation or name and renown or women or pleasures or experiences, I thought these would give me meaning. And they did for a minute. And then it's, it's all just... Uh, it's it's all just meaningless, meaningless is what, how he writes it. And over the years, I, I've played for you a few times, one of my favorite, I think most formative clips to show that is the nature of humanity, that we will run to lesser things, even run to good things, and make them the ultimate thing, make them our identity. I've played for you that clip from Tom Brady from about almost 15 years ago now, right after he had won a third Super Bowl, just got a $40 million Gillette contract to be their spokesperson for the Razors. This is after getting his big deal with the NFL, marrying a a Victoria's Secret model. What's her name again? Giselle. And he's asked by the 60 Minutes guy, you you, you get up the day after that third Super Bowl and you know all this stuff is true of you. And what's that feel like? And Brady says, is this it? Is this all? This is what it feels like to be the most successful person in my field, to marry a Victoria's Secret model and to have all the money I could ever dream of? This is all I got? And that's showing itself now even in his own life. He won't let go of the thing that he defined himself as, and it's tearing his family apart. The segment's not about him. I'm just saying I like it when stuff in the culture proves the point I've been talking about, that meaning is one of our biggest crises. And as we have extricated 
our creator. We've extricated the God of the Bible from Western culture. We have been looking for meaning everywhere we can, and we just continue not to find it. Now, I could do the rest of the show on that. I've done too many shows on that, so i got to stop and pull myself in. Caroline wrote in to say, Lately, though, it's not been about Ecclesiastes. I've been talking about duties that we have. One of the things that we've lost is finding meaning in our duties. Not our titles, but our relation to one another. Being a good son or daughter. Being a good neighbor, a good friend. Being a good mom or dad. Not, so one, of the, one of the idolatries people run into is some women just get engulfed in being a mom. It's who they are. This, that can be unhealthy. But a healthy thing that the, the Lord, I think, would encourage in us is, yeah, find some meaning in how you serve and love eternal people. Your husband, your wife, your kids, they're eternal. The way you serve your neighbor, serve your community, these are eternal people. And the way you love them and serve them is one way to find meaning as you do those things to the glory of God and God alone. And so, yes, I've been talking a lot lately about one of the reasons we have fallen into nihilism, that nothing means anything, is that we inculcated in a group of people, starting, I think, with my age group, a little bit before me maybe, that you're the center of everything. Whatever you want to do, you should do. Pursue your dreams. Go after your dreams, no matter the cost. If it means being disloyal to your family, if it means disrupting the family structure, then go after it. We proliferated that with like no-fault divorce laws, with parents saying, are we saying to adults, if you are unhappy, then that's the key to your life. All you must be is happy. And if that means divorcing your spouse and ruining your kids, do that. You have to be happy. You being you, you being your truest self, that's the most important thing. And, and so when we then believe that and go after being our truest self, we implode upon ourselves and find that we're a terrible God and it doesn't make us any happier. So I've been using that theme and... Uh, what's her name? Caroline wrote it into Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, just like you can, and said she's been rereading the Bridget Jones's Diary series. If you're unfamiliar with Bridget Jones's Diary, I've never seen it or read them. I don't think I'm the demographic. I think they're four, like they're four women. They give you the brief synopsis. Renee Zellweger starred in the movies. They're, that feels like it's 20 years ago now. I, I could be wrong. And it's about a woman in Britain who's single in her 30s. Like the worst thing you could possibly be, right? Single in your 30s. I say that as a guy who is, as I record, I'm getting married in 10 days. But I I didn't even mind being single in my 30s. It was a fine time. I never felt pressure about it. But apparently in British culture and maybe some here, there's just a lot of pressure. Like you need to settle down, find a spouse. And the character Bridget Jones desperately is trying to do that. Like she's, she's a woman who really wants to find someone to marry. And... She apparently has in the book some New Year's resolutions. And Caroline sent to me New Year's resolution number three from one of the books. She said, this could have been on my show. And so here is what Bridget Jones, this British woman in her 30s who can't find someone to marry, and she's trying to better herself. This is what she resolves. To be assured, to be unassured, receptive and responsive woman of substance that my sense of self will not come from other people but will come from from 
from myself? No, that can't be right. End of quote. That is so good. That is someone in the throes of postmodernism and relativism 20 years ago, 25 years ago, wrestling with the message she's been given. She's been given the message, do not find meaning or substance in other people. That can be good. That's actually quite good. Don't, don't find, uh, what's the saw proverb? The fear of man is the, the fear of man is a snare. I think that's how it goes. The fear of man is a snare. It's good not to find our sense of being in other people's opinions of us. But you can hear the struggle. I know I'm not supposed to find my substance from other people. Okay, but where is it supposed to come from then? Myself doesn't seem right. And that book 25 years ago illustrates where we are now and the consequences of that thinking because people did decide it was themselves. When, when the reality was happiness, fulfillment comes in serving God by serving the people he has commanded you to serve. And so that would be those who have relationships with your parents and you're unmarried, that's serving them, honoring them. It's honoring the people you work with and your employer. It's being a dedicated, involved, there, present church member, involved in a body of believers. Of course you can't find a meaning and substance in yourself. That's a, it'll terminate on yourself, it'll implode. But finding meaning and lo- serving God by serving other people, other humans, other image bearers of God. This is a place to find some meaning. So Caroline, good find. That's actually also inspiring to me in that I say this to you with some other regularity. It's a poisonous part of the culture that media happens to us so much. We just swim in it. We soak in it. We don't even notice that we're doing it. There's in the background always a TV show on. The radio's always on. We're constantly scrolling on our phones. Just this kind of endless cycle of media. And I have encouraged you all as I try to do, don't ever do that. Engage your brain. What am I reading? What sermon is this movie preaching to me? What sermon, what theology is this TV show giving to me? And be discerning. We recently had a sermon about that. Be discerning about the things of the world. To be able to not just tell right from wrong, but to tell right from almost right. Be last week's sermon was about being distinct, being different. Let us be that people where the world does mindlessly soak in the messages they're given through every medium. Then let us be distinct in that that's just not us. When we're reading through Bridget Jones's diary, we're actually testing the lines, testing the, testing the values it's giving out. So that's, that's an ethic that doesn't say avoid the world, avoid its, me, its mediums, avoid its stories. No, don't avoid them unless they're just manifestly, obviously wrong. Read them. Read them discerningly. Watch them. Watch them discerningly. Listen to them, but listen to them discerningly, critically, that you would take in whatever message it's giving you, run it through the filter of the Bible you know, and always endeavoring to know more Bible so you can run all the stuff you're getting through a better and more firm filter 
so you can throw out and critique the worldliness and keep those things that are good. Okay, I did not mean to spend the entire first segment on that, but Caroline, good catch, and you've encouraged me. It's an encouragement to all of us. Let's watch, listen, and read carefully as we're interacting with this fallen world. When we return, bad theology abounds. In election season, it abounds all the more as people invite candidates to pulpits. We'll start there when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. We've already revisited one theme of the show today, revisiting another from the last few weeks. I think I would put this in the category of being a people that understands we do need a separation from church and state, but not of faith and state. We'll get started in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. You can find me, your host, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my odd name, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can also email the show, and I hope you will, at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. With any stories, thoughts, questions, things you want explored, I'm always open to those. I'll start with the people more closely associated with me, but I don't associate with these folks at all. From the right and left, it's just a bad time to uh, to try to see the people who are trying to integrate their politics. That's number one. Politics is the thing that they are first. That's their first identity. But they like the veneer of their faith, that they grew up in America or Catholic or Baptist in the South, and they try to put those things together. That leads to some really stupid, inane, sometimes heretical stuff. And again, it happens on right and left. We'll critique the folks who are associated with rightism right now, but I wouldn't even, I wouldn't call them right, uh, rightists. There are something else altogether. It's one of the hard parts of the American ideological system is we just don't have enough, uh, I guess, diversity of, of labels. Anyway, let's just do it. This guy's name is, I can't find it, but he is speaking at a a rally called Awaken America, and they go around to churches. I would say beware of these people. And you know what? I don't have to tell you why. You can hear why. Here's one of the things that one of the speakers said at one of those most recent rallies. The financial rebalancing. The angel of death is coming to visit these people. These people are going down. These people, by the way, are the powerful people around the world, mostly who conspired against the most recent former president of the United States, that the death angel is coming for them. These people who control the world think that they are pharaohs, the present-day pharaohs. By the way, so the, on the screen now, the angel of death is coming for them by year end. He's calling them, uh, he's call, what do you just call them, pharaohs? Here's some of the people on the screen. Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia. John Roberts, Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, Justin Trudeau of Canada. There's a lot here, actually. Uh, Maxine Waters. I'm trying to tell you the faces I recognize. Bill Clinton, Lindsey Graham. Uh, that is, I don't know who that is. Chris Wallace, the guy from the media. Gavin Newsom. And he says the death angel is coming for them by year end. They are the pharaohs. And I don't know what, what other way to take the death angel except they're going to die. Soon you shall never see again. This is 
coming with the greatest wealth transfer in human history. Gold and silver are going to explode in value. By the way, this guy, guess what business he's in? Guess, guess, guess. He sells precious metals. Giving wealth to the church, to you, so then you can prosper all those around you because everything when God's kingdom comes in abundance and overflow. All debts. Who has credit cards? I mean, are you, you're, you're not getting the visual, but this guy, obviously, he, he's not founded in any scripture, right? He's not quoting you anything. He's just prophesying. By the way, now on the screen, it, <laughs> it has these dates. August 24, uh, Russia and the Saudis agree. I actually don't even know what agreement they're talking about. So I guess that if that August 24th, that must be August 24th of last year. And then it's February 24th. Russia-Ukraine war begin. March 24th. Oil for rubles. I don't know what that means. June 24th. Rove is overturned. September 24th. The British pound plummets. Then it says... Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is actually awesome. October 24th. So that would be the, the one that just passed us, if you're listening to this. If you're listening to this the day it comes out on podcast... Literally yesterday, it has Black Monday, question mark. If you don't know Black Monday, that is the the day we consider to be like the beginning of the Great Depression. The stock market really just plummets like you've never seen it before. And so it has 1024 Black Monday, question mark. Yesterday, the NASDAQ was up 95 points. The Dow Jones was up, I think, I think it was 400 and some odd points. Now, we've had a terrible... Stock market crash. It's down a quarter, a quarter. I'll say it again, a quarter in the last couple of years due to very bad federal government policy regarding the uh, regarding the economy. But then here's the last one. So on all of these 24ths, these are the significant things that happened. And then on November 24th, Trump returns, question mark. Mortgages, student loans, they will be canceled. Zechariah 1 talks about Thanksgiving. Oh boy, we're getting some Bible now. Here we go. We are days away from Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving? Galatians 6 talks about it. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, thus shall he reap. Those who have planted evil seeds, they are about to get evil upon their own heads. Those Okay, so God, this is pronouncement of judgment. You're prophesying judgment. The same way that you prophesied judgment about the stock market that should have crashed yesterday but, but didn't. Those who have planted good seeds are about to be blessed beyond measure. We are here. Dark We're going to go dark. And when the lights come on, we're... On the screen, it has a graphic that says, The parallel of Lazarus in the United States. And then a very long like it's a big slide about how, all the ways in which United States is analogous to Lazarus and we are about to die and then return worldwide celebrations are coming we are going to see the return this year 45 comes back not by on the screen right now is just almost laughable picture of Donald Trump and he just he said 45 comes back that refers to the 45th president of the United States so in a church with some Bible sprinkled in, I got the death angel is coming for these people. The sub market's going to crash, but it didn't. And by the end of the year, did you hear him? By the end of the year, 45's coming back.
by his will, but by God's will. God's will shall be done. God okay. Now, when December 31st comes to us at 11.59, 59 seconds, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, and we strike midnight, and Donald Trump is not president of the United States, what's this guy going to do? Of course, that's what he's talking about is not going to happen. And I, I, I sort of need you uh, to take that word we had from the first segment, discernment. This is really bad. And it's got the trappings of America love. It's got the trappings of conservatism. It's got some of the images that we would otherwise be accustomed to enjoying, accustomed to liking. But it has to be rejected outright. This is madness. And if it doesn't get into heresy, it borders right there on it. So as election time nears, you're getting some of this really terrible theology. I mean, that's, this person just straight up sounds unhinged. But it's not just him. So that's the Awaken America rallies happening in churches. But how about actually inviting a candidate to your church? Not something I highly... Uh, uh, inviting a candidate. I wouldn't mind... I should say that differently. Of course invite candidates to church. But don't give them a mic. Unfortunately for the Democratic nominee for governor in Georgia, she was invited to church on a Sunday morning and given a mic. This clip is two minutes. We're not going to listen to all of it because it's excruciating, but you should hear some of it. This is Stacey Abrams. Those in this room who are women, I, I come from a tradition of faith. Oh, that's good news. Cool. So you're on the stage at a church on a Sunday morning and you come from a tradition of faith. Can't wait to hear about it. And I believe that I have the right to control my body and control my future and that that belongs to me alone. Uh-oh. Very literally, Paul writes... For you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Now, of course, we know what she's talking about. She's talking about abortion and using political language, her idolatry of politics and government, inside the church world and therefore doesn't know the language. It is not at all a biblical thing to say that I belong to me. I very specifically don't belong to me. By right of creation, I am God's. He made me. I made the joke a thousand times. It's the thing we say to our kids. I brought you into this world. I, I can take you out. That statement is one of creation, meaning ownership. I don't belong to myself. I also don't belong to myself by right of conversion. He made me, but then he made me new. And then I'm not my own by consecration. That's my Baptist way of saying it, creation, conversion, and consecration. Making me more like himself all the time. Me not giving in to my own will. Me not giving in to my own flesh. This is in the first, what, 15 seconds despite knowing she's trying to talk about abortion, saying an expressly unbiblical thing into a microphone on a Sunday morning in a building called a church. And I don't want to make the choice for anybody else, but I don't want some man who's never met me in my doctor's office with me. Now, now we are just straight up doing politics, and what a hypocritical thing to say. You want to make choices for everybody. That's the entire, what are the entire uh, themes of leftism. You want to make the choice about where my kids go to school. You want to make the choice about whether or not someone gets a vaccine. You want to make a choice about whether or not someone can defend themselves with a gun. You want to make a choice about how much of my money I can keep, and whereas you want to take more of it to do what you want to with it. You very literally want to make all of my choices and lord over me like a parent, except for one thing. There's one thing that you want us all to have our own choices over, and that's whether or not to kill children in the womb. And 
And don't forget, by the way, she's standing up there and she says she's a person of faith. She comes from a tradition of faith. I can't wait to hear more. In the tradition of Esther and Deborah and Ruth, of Mary and Mo- Martha. Oh, I'm sorry. What? What's what tradition are is Esther and Deborah and Ruth and Mary and Martha in? Because even in in their stories, there's very little in common with let's go Esther and Deborah versus Ruth, Mary, and Martha. Very different stories. Where are you going? It took men to break this place. It's gonna take a woman to put it right. It took men to break it and take a woman to put it right. Let's well, let me think through that. Esther. So, yeah, okay, that was a situation caused by a man. Zer- is that Xerxes or Cyrus? can't remember his name. I think both of those are correct in different languages. Made a decree to kill all the Jews and then made a decree for the Jews to defend themselves. Yeah, okay, fine. So you're saying in the tradition of those women in the Bible, a man broke it and a woman had to fix it. Esther is used by the Lord for such a time as this. She, she was the instrument of God to fix it. Okay, got it. Deborah. Uh, she had De- Deborah being a judge in the book of Judges is a concession. It's actually a judgment on the people of Israel that none of their men would stand so that a woman had to and lead. But sure, okay, uh, men broke it because men were in charge the entire time and a woman had to come along and fix it. All right, Ruth. Uh, men broke it. No, no, their situation was general poverty. Men died. It's not man's fault that he died. And it's actually Boaz used as the type of Christ, the symbol of Christ in the story, although it's a historical story, that came along and fixed it, redeemed, not from sin, but redeemed from her situation, Ruth, and by extension, Naomi. Uh, Mary and Martha. I don't know what the problem was, uh, but I know both of those are worshipers of Jesus that would say, Jesus fixed the problem. I don't think this is a good exegesis of even five characters from the Bible. But we've got 23 days to determine that we deserve more. You see, everything I've listed, every item I itemized, if you go to my website, there's a spreadsheet. And it says that we can do everything I've said without raising a dime in taxes. But they don't want you to believe that because it's easier to scare us into poverty than to help us into prosperity. I mean, it's a cute line. Uh, I'm trying to decide if we should do, I'll do a little bit more. But I reject poverty thinking. I believe that God's grace shines on all of us. But too many of us are in the shadows. Okay, that's enough of her. Two things to finish. One, talking about God's grace. Is that 2 Timothy? Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And I think there is a, the end of that, there's a list there in 2 Timothy 3. And it ends with, avoid such people. These types of people, avoid them. And one of them, one of them is having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And that's the appearance of godliness, right? Let me get up on a stage in church. Let me talk about Esther and Deborah. Let me talk about Ruth and Mary and Martha. Uh, let me talk about the grace of God, all the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then looking God in the face and saying, your design for families, I reject that. Your design for uh, for, for sexuality, I reject it. Your design for the role of government, not to be our mommy and daddy and to take care of us and all of our needs, I reject all of that. I reject all of your power, but I want the appearance of godliness. She's a walking billboard. 
for Sega Timothy 3, as is a lot of our politicians on all sides. Final thing there. Poverty mindset. If you're not familiar with this, it, it made its way through the business world. A lot of church folks use it. I find it useful. Some of the things that are started in business and leadership in the secular world try to get brought into the church, and they're not useful. They're outside of biblical paradigms. But this one I think is helpful. Poverty mindset versus a plentiful mindset. You've probably been a part of poverty mindset institutions. Often it's where we work, where you've got an idea or someone has an idea for improvement, and the attitude around the place, whether in leadership or those around you, is, yeah, it's a great idea. I wish we could do it. We're just, you know, we don't have the resources. And there's, there's not an attitude of plentiful, of saying, yeah, that's actually great. Let's go after improvements. Instead, just kind of holding it down and staying with, the, staying with the way it's always been. This is actually what I find leftism to be. It is the poverty mindset. The poverty mindset is there are no innovative, creative ways to make things better, to create wealth, to pull people out of poverty. There's only ever the one way, the one way we always do it. They still talk about the New Deal. The New Deal is almost 100 years old. But what do we want to do? Let's just get more government. Always, it's give the government more power. The answer to everything, every energy crisis, every economic crisis, every medical crisis, what is always their old, tired answer? Give the government more power. It's very simple. That's the poverty mindset. The plentiful mindset is we, the people, we got creativity. We got entrepreneurial spirit. We got stick-to-itiveness. Let's, we, together, let's us find a, an answer to the problem and not just give it over to the government. Final thing on me being annoyed in the election season of people getting microphones in churches and saying heretical or just really unbiblical things. One, or excuse me, that last one is this. The candidate in Georgia for Senate calls himself a pastor. He's not, he's an apostate heretic, and if he does not repent, he will spend forever separated from God in hell. I'm saying that out loud. It's important to say. Watching some of his content, because again, I'm, I'm trying to come from a Christian biblical perspective here. I'm not just talking about a politician. I'm talking about a guy who calls himself a pastor. I'm getting to the spot where there needs to, not, not only should no Christian be assigning their name to him, in particular because he is a heretic. He's an apostate heretic. Uh, that doesn't mean that a Christian is resigned to voting for his opponent if they don't want to. But I am saying, not only does he not deserve any Christian's vote, he only really deserves a call to repentance. I, I, I can see a scenario where that's where I'm headed, where I'm going to town halls in the future, calmly looking for my 30 seconds at the mic, and I suspect I will be embarrassed, and my voice will tremble, and my heart will race, and I'll have my sweaty palms, but I'm, I'm getting to that spot where Christians... When it comes to speaking into the political world, what we need to be doing is walking into town halls, going to a microphone and calmly saying, the Lord has chosen to give you some power. You are using it unfaithfully. You might be using it to enrich yourself. You're using it to enrich your, your uh, if it's not financially, it's your own ego. And I'm just calling you to repentance. You will be held to account for every life you cost by your abortion policy, 
for the lives you've cost through your soft on crime policy, through the loss we have suffered as a country, even financially, because of what you've done. These things are coming for you in eternity. And my call to you is simply to repent, follow after Christ, lean on him, break on him, and let him put the pieces back together. Thank you for listening and walking away from the mic. I don't know, I don't know of anything better to be saying to our politicians right now than just a call to repentance. I'm not totally sure what we're going to do when we return, but I, I have one more election season thought that's not as firmly in the church world, but I'll do that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. One of the reasons the interactions around politics and government in the United States have gotten so rancorous is that there are people who, on purpose, raise the temperature and the severity of political outcomes to get people to be afraid. And it's time that a lot of us start holding them to account. I'll give you details in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts, and right here on his radio talk. Glad to have you with us every Saturday morning and Saturday evening at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. We'd love to have you at any given time. If you have feedback for the show, find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, not the ticker talkers or the snapper chatters, because I'm a grown man, and I don't belong there. And you can also email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. What I have in my head is a list of attitudes that I want people held accountable for because the attitudes they express raise the temperature of the country, its, its collective emotional state, and because the emotional state temperature is raised, the quality of discourse is diminished. Those two things tend to be in inverse correlation. The more emotional something is, the less articulate and the less thought out it is. As emotions ebb and dwindle, more rationality can can come forward. Emotions are good. Don't hear me downgrading emotions. I'm just saying there's time for them and there's time to remove them. And when doing adult things and making adult important decisions, it's important to get some objectivity away from those emotions. I'll give you some examples. I remember... 2006 and 7 in particular, right after the surge in Iraq. So the Patriot Act has been in for a while, a lot of surveillance going on, and there were voices on the left saying, Bush is going to declare martial law. He shall never leave the Oval Office. And then January 20th, 2009 came along, and we inaugurated that Obama guy. And he left. Those people should be held to account. You made a bunch of folks afraid, you riled them up, and you diminished our level of discourse by doing that. And I remember people that I'm associated with near the end of the Obama administration saying similar things. He's never going to leave office. You think he's going to leave? doesn't matter what the election is. You think he's actually going to get out of there? Yes, I do. Because that's what they do. That's what normal life is. Stop living in a conspiracy-riddled, weird world, the fake world that you're in. And January 20th, 2017 came and we inaugurated that Trump guy. And then there was the emotional fervor uh, throughout that entire campaign that if Trump is elected, he will destroy the country. And here we are, six years later, it's fine, everything's fine. Actually, most of the damage that you think you felt was to your emotions. 
your emotions were affected because you decided to obsess over who the president of the United States was. And so you went crazy for four years. The rest of us kind of lived our lives and mostly weren't affected by it in real-world ways. And now I see another one that's quite insipid. Or incipient? I can't remember which word means devious. But it's an insipid or incipient framework I've been seeing. Folks on the left saying, you can't give the right power because they've shown themselves now as not willing to give it up. So if Republicans win anything, they'll never give up the power again. Okay, you all need to be held to account for this fantastical, insane ramblings. For these fantastical, insane ramblings. I, I have to remind folks too often, the last election was certified by a Republican Senate and a Republican vice president and many Republican governors. There's an element of crazy people out there with some power, but and that's on the left and right, but our institutions stand up to them. You know what's about to happen in a couple weeks? Republicans are going to take the House and the Senate, and Kevin McCarthy will be Speaker of the House, and Mitch McConnell will be Majority Leader. And then in the next, sometime in the next two, four, six, eight, or ten years, the other party will win control back. And they're going to give up the power. Just like we've done for hundreds of years. And voices that are telling you the opposite want you to be angry and afraid. Now, I think some of them believe it. Some of them have gotten themselves into such a tizzy, they believe the thing they're saying. But as on left and right, they've been wrong for years and that the institutions stand and we just continue to transfer power, that's going to happen again. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. And, and also, I would love for some kind of accountability where we look back at all those people and say, hey, that dumb thing you thought about martial law and people not giving up their power, you should like apologize for that and say you're sorry for it because there should be accountability for saying stupid things. You know, even earlier, that prophet dude at the Awaken America rally, we should hold, he should be held to account. You predicted a Black Monday. It didn't happen. You were, by the end of the year, predicting that Donald Trump's going to be president again. He's not going to be. And the accountability needs to be, no one ever listens to you ever again. I believe there is some Old Testament law about false prophets, people who prophesy specific things that don't happen, and real punishments for them. I'm not saying we punish people by law, but they should at least be ostracized. If you predict something and it doesn't happen, you should have the decency to shut up and quit predicting things because you don't have the power and the ability to do it. All right, what else? Well, uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to do this one. You've heard me chronicling, I think that's a word, chronicling this change on the right that I've noticed. And in, largely I've been tracking it through Christianity, as I track almost everything. It's a change in demeanor and a change in philosophy of governance. I didn't do it on this show. I did it on Dr. Beam's show, the morning show here on his radio talk. It's a Christian worldview with Tony Beam, Dr. Tony Beam. Me and uh, Austin Barker went through an old school of thought, one called uh, state of, uh, Reason of State and one called uh, the o- O'Donovanian School or O'Donovan School. Where I, I'm a classic O'Donovan where I'm just a really hands-off government, want a very weak government and let Christians be protected and all faiths be protected to make their points in the public sphere. Uh, but 
then there was the state of reason people, and I've tracked this through with something called theoph not theoph theon theonomy, the idea of getting power and instituting Christian laws, getting power and instituting Christian thinking. You all remember I've been tracking this, right? I've been seeing it come up. It's new. Actually, it's ancient, but it's renewed conversation inside the church and on the American right. What is the role of government? Should we be taking power of government and use it to do righteous things? Or is the school of thought that's kind of reigned for about 50 or 60 years, should we be looking to get government to be neutral? Just have a neutral government that lets everyone, that, that provides for maximum freedom for most people. So you've seen that debate. You've even had, you've probably seen that debate in my own mind. I'm deciding what I think about these things. I'm not fully convinced about what I, that I'm right. I'm, I'm, I fluctuate on this so much so it almost feels like a proverb. There's that old proverb that says, not a, not a proverb from like a almanac, but like actually in the book of Proverbs, that every story seems right and true until you hear the other side of the story. And when I'm listening to someone saying, no, the, the Christian should be looking to get 50% plus one of votes, get power, and in, in legitimately, whatever is legit inside the system of governance they're in, they should be ruling and instituting Christian law. And I hear them say it a lot of times ago, you know what, you make a good point. Christ reigns. We should be trying to manifest that right now. And then I'll hear someone say, here's some dangers to that and some drawbacks to that. And what, what would be better is if uh, we were not forcing people into Christian things, but convincing them to follow biblical teaching. And I go, yeah, that's actually, that's actually better. So I vacillate on it too. Over at The Federalist, which is not a Christian publication, The Federalist is just a conservative publication, I read a fairly long article. I'm not going to read you all of it. But I'm seeing it manifest here too, now outside of the church, but just inside the ideology most associated with the American church. I'm going to read to you. I'll give you his name at the end. It's not on the page for me right now. Near the end of the article, here's what he says. The left will only stop when conservatives stop them, which means conservatives will have to discard this outdated, irrelevant notion about small government. The government will have to become, in the hands of conservatives, an instrument of renewal in American life, and in some cases, a blunt instrument indeed. You probably know my, my instincts on that. That does not feel good. That feels wrong. This guy saying out loud, boldly, we have to get power and stop this small government nonsense. No, we need to get government and use it as an instrument for the renewal of American life. And sometimes it'll be a blunt instrument. Ooh, I don't know. That feels, that feels kind of gross. Here's the next paragraph. To stop big tech, for example will require using antitrust powers to break up their companies. To stop universities from spreading poisonous ideologies will require governments to starve them of public funds. To stop the disintegration of the family might require reversing no-fault divorce laws combined with generous subsidies for families of small children. Just take those. So he's saying big tech is silencing free speech, making it harder for the, the true and right things to be said, and we should get government power and break them up. Make them do the right thing. We should get government power to stop universities, to starve them of funds, maybe even have state government say, if you even have a gender study program, you're not getting a dollar from the state. Figure it out and do it yourself. 
You're not having a, a racial grievance studies program. You're not doing it. And if you do it, you're not getting any money. He's saying get power to fix big tech and fix the university system and its poisonous thinking by using powerful government to do it, to stop the disintegration of family. He is saying get a bunch of subsidies, give parents money. If you want one parent, typically mom, staying home with the kids, all right, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for parents to raise kids in not daycare centers or governments and public schools. So we want to get power to tax people to give parents money so one of them can stay home with the kids, maybe even encourage homeschooling. Let's use government power to make the place Christian and do away with the idea of small government. I, even, even in this moment, I'm conflicted on hearing this. Well, the next paragraph. And conflicted meaning, I can see agreement about what should happen and then disagreement on the instrument thereof. Oh, I've lost my place. Here we go. Um, conservatives need not shy away from making these arguments because the arguments betray some cherished libertarian fantasy about free markets and small government. It is time to clear our minds of can't. You know I, I chafe against that. Yeah, there are things you can't do. There are things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't impose yourself. You shouldn't impose your will on others. That feels wrong. I could be wrong about that, but it feels like it's wrong. And he says, don't be, don't be shy about it with, because you love the free market and small government. Well, I do love small government and free markets. It's, what, it's what's led to so much prosperity in the world. And this guy even argues basically in the article, you got to be ready to do away with so much prosperity. Give up riches, give up ease of life to have a society that has some fabric to it, something that keeps us all stuck together. I'll give you one more, uh, one more paragraph. In other contexts, wielding government power will mean a dramatic expansion of the criminal code. It will not be enough, for example, to reach an accommodation with the abortion regime or to agree on reasonable limits on when human life can be snuffed out with impunity. As Abraham Lincoln once said of slavery, we must become all one thing or the other. The Dobbs decision was, in a sense, the beginning of the pro-life cause. Now comes the real fight in state houses across the country to outlaw the, completely the barbaric practice of killing the unborn. Now, I don't agree with him on that. I, mean, I, I don't disagree with him on that. That's, that's true. We should. We, we should criminally prosecute. Now, there's disagreement inside the church and on the right generally about who deserves to be punished, the doctor, the woman, or both. But yeah, we, we want to use government power for that, but I would argue only, uh, that's, that's actually using a government power that already exists, but including a new category of victim. We already have murder as illegal. And so what we're saying is, you're actually committing murder. We just decided that this person isn't a person, and we just want to include them in the category of people that can be murdered. I said only one, but let me one more paragraph, but let me do one more. Conservatives had better be ready for it. And Republican politicians, if they want to stay in office, had better to be had better have an answer ready when they're asked what reasonable limits uh, to abortion restrictions they would support. When the answer has to be no, for the same reason that they will not support reasonable limits on pre premeditated murder. So you can can you hear the new voice? There isn't a a, there's no measure to it. This guy just straight up saying, I'll go find you his name now. He's just straight up saying, if, if, 
Oh, actually, that I, I know uh, I'm all over the place, but I, uh, let me finish it here. He says all of these things, and then his final paragraph is, if that all sounds radical, fine. It, 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 it doesn't need to sound radical. At this late hour, dissuade conservatives in the least. Radicalism is precisely the approach needed now because the necessary task is nothing less than radical and revolutionary. And the title of the article was Stop Calling... We have to stop calling ourselves conservatives. He is saying, we tried to conserve a particular way of life. We failed desperately, and now we are the radicals, trying to build a world worth living in, a world good for humanity. And he, you heard it there, him saying, let's get power and use it to make the country rational again. I've, I would love feedback. I love conversation on this. This is hard, guys. I, uh, his name is John Daniel Davidson. John Daniel Davidson is at The Federalist, if you want to go read the entire thing. And he's actually summarizing a much longer article I did not read because it just goes on forever, and I have too much other stuff going on. I, I read you all that to just bring this now back to the fore. It's been a theme of the last couple years, and it's time we wrestle through it and decide. Now, I, I... I would even love some kind of doctrinal statements to compare to one another. What is our disposition towards government? Are we here to get control of it and use it to make Christian things happen? Or as my understanding of most of my 36 years, is it more win people over, and when you win people over, they change governments, and then governments change laws? I'd love to get your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You can find me there or email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Here in our waning seconds, let me just uh, say thank you again for all of the messages, uh, the encouragements. The uh, You're saying you're, you're, you've been praying, and I appreciate that very much. Continue that in lots of ways. I am, as talking to you, 10 days away from being married. I could be. Guys, could be more excited for it. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. And amongst the many other things, I hope one will be that I'm back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week right here on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Until then, everybody, peace and love.